Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. You know, just because you're self-isolating, or one is, doesn't mean you can feel entirely safe about your neighborhood. For example, where I'm sitting right now, nice chair, comfy, where I'm sitting right now, on one side is Texas, and then the other side is Mississippi. Yeah, you'd be nervous too. They are the two states leading in the charge to reopen their states in uh, at a pace that Dr. Fauci, grouchy Fauci, Dr. Fauci and other health professionals and epidemiologists say is prematurely fast given the state. Well, we're we're looking so happily at the downward slope of cases and hospitalizations regarding COVID-19. Happy anniversary of COVID-19, everybody. And uh, everybody's patting themselves on the back or wherever they like to pat themselves, saying, yo, it's gone down to where it was last October, which means right before everybody ignored the warnings and went crazy for Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're back to right where we were before then, which is like 60,000 cases a day, which is a high plateau, as they all warn. We're not out of the woods. We're still spitting twigs. And um, so the governors of Mississippi and Texas, as I say, are among the leaders in the uh, drive to say, well, that's done. Let's open up. And um, this week, President of the United States, not referring to them by name, but to the uh, impulse that they share, and they're not the only ones, uh, said this is not the time for, and his words were, this is not the time for Neanderthal thinking. It's cute, you know. It, it, um, it roused the appropriate, the people who are uh, spending most of this week railing against the cancellation of Dr. Seuss, took a moment out to say, Neanderthal, how dare you? Chief among them, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, who who got up on his hind legs in a dudgeon at the use of the word, saying, did you know that most Americans have about 2% Neanderthal genes in their uh, genomes? best place for the genes, you must admit. And people, casual observers, might well have wondered, well, A, where did he get... That's probably not the most inaccurate figure spouted in public this week. It's it's quite on the uh, plausible side. But people might wonder, how, did that, how could that have happened? And um, so here is a good faith 
musical attempt to answer that question. Hello, welcome to the show. From New Orleans, Louisiana, and celebrating this particular moment in time when Ms. Tandon is in the nearer view mirror, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, news of our friend, the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Let me Adam. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. You know, the thing we hear so much these days about our friend the Atom is it's the only reliable baseline source of power if you're going to go all carbon-free because the wind don't blow at night and the sun don't shine at night. And also, waste. (laughs) We've solved that. 
So here are some stories to illuminate those particular points. Two months after a generator issue caused an unplanned shutdown at Callaway Energy Center in Fulton, Missouri, the plant is still not operating. It's from the uh, local newspaper there, the News Tribune. It's got the news, and it's a Tribune. Related to the shutdown is the caravan of vehicles that crept east last Monday on Missouri 94, complete with flashing lights, lights, flags, and oversized hull Oversized load, sorry. Written in bold block letters, the large top-covered load was characterized as a significant component. We decided that significant components did need to be replaced, said the uh, vice president of the plant there, the nuclear plant, Amarin. We decided significant components did need to be replaced. These are long lead-time materials that need to be manufactured, installed, and tested so that we can ultimately bring... Callaway Energy Center back safely and sustainably. The plant experienced three unplanned shutdowns during the last three quarters of last year. They're known as scrams. That should be reassuring all by itself. These scrams, in addition to lower than normal hours of critical operation at the plant over the year, will result in additional oversight from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Wow, now I'm really scared. The NRC determines oversight based on a variety of performance indicators sorting each plant in the country into five different columns on an action matrix. Action matrix. Say that five times and see if you got a voice left. Most plants are currently in column one. But uh, NRC sent a letter to the Callaway reactor people. It's been moved to column two, which warrants a supplemental inspection. Only three other reactors in the United States are in column two. None are in three, four, or five. Well, that should be reassuring. The uh, latest report from the plant to the NRC, the current shutdown, is the result of a generator fault. Blame the generator. See if I care. Here in New Orleans, Entergy Corporation wrongfully charged customers over eight years for a nuclear power station that often malfunctioned. I didn't think they did and was repeatedly deemed unsafe. This is uh, allegations in a federal complaint filed by three of the utility's regulators. The Louisiana Public Service Commission, the New Orleans City Council, and the Arkansas Public Service Commission. Hey, Arkansas. How you doing? You got that Asa Hutchinson governing you right now. He used to be the drug czar. That's cute. They argued that $800 million energy spent to upgrade its problem-plagued Grand Gulf nuclear station in Mississippi. It's not wearing a mask either. No, those... That $800 million haven't improved the plant's safety record and subpar performance compared to other nuclear power plants, not counting the one in Missouri. The utility also charged customers over $361 million for power it had to purchase elsewhere when the deficient station was offline, said the regulators in their complaint to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They argued Energy should refund customers the power costs as well as the cost of the 2012 upgrade which was passed on to ratepayers and graded nothing up. That would equate to more than $4.1 billion in refunds and damages. The regulators said there were other potential costs due to energy lapses that, quote, can only be identified upon further investigation, unquote. Didn't say how big those credits might be for all of energy's 3 million customers, but uh, the average 
cost to customers of Energy New Orleans was roughly $453. The chairman of the Public Service Commission said the utility needed to be held accountable to its customers. We're hearing a lot about accountability these days, aren't we? Energy customers deserve a full look at the potential imprudent management of Grand Gulf and eventually appropriate refunds, said that regulator. If the federal regulator agrees, refunds could eventually show up on customers' bills as credits. In its statement, Energy pointed to investments made at Grand Grand Gulf over the past year and described more recent problems with its operations, but didn't address past issues brought up in the complaint. The plant experienced operational issues in late 2020 related to the upgrade, including unplanned shutdowns and time spent off the grid. We've worked to identify the related issues, implemented a maintenance outage. What? Implemented a maintenance outage, says the energy statement. Okay, that should be easy. And conducted additional training for our team. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission last November did target Grand Gulf for additional oversight after the plant had three unplanned scrams earlier in the year. It had two additional unplanned shutdowns before the end of 2020. It's the only Fortune 500 company with headquarters in New Orleans, so let's come easy on them. We need the something. The company has been in the crosshairs of regulators for a while amid weather-related outages and customer complaints of soaring power bills. What are we, Texas? The uh, utility officials largely blamed the higher charges on the use of more heat amid freezing weather. They also said they had to open, uh, purchase more power on the open market after two of their plants, Grand Gulf, were down for maintenance. Well, they fixed that. More. The U.S. Department of Energy and its agency overseeing the nation's nuclear weapons program have serious enough problems with managing contractors and projects, including for nuclear waste cleanup, according to the Santa Fe News, but they, well, that they made a government watchdog's high-risk list again this year. Both the Energy Department and the branch known as the National Nuclear Security Administration have made some progress in how they manage personnel, facilities, and waste disposal, but they're still deficient in key areas, according to the Government Accountability Office in its biannual kids. That's right, every two years. High-risk report. The report lists programs and operations that are high-risk, due to their vulnerabilities to fraud, waste, abuse, and mismanagement. And some require an overhaul. This is in the nuclear field, ladies and gentlemen. The GAO issues the reports at the start of each new Congress. They've led to more than $575 billion in cost benefits to the federal government in the last 15 years. That's them bragging. Los Alamos National Laboratory isn't named in the report, but some of the GAO's broad criticism apply to work being done at the lab and the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant near Carlsbad. That was where we were going to prove how good we were at storing waste. Well, it's isolated. It's, it's self-isolating at this point. The report said the Energy Department doesn't accurately track or document whether waste cleanup goals are met, missed, or postponed. And the agency continually renegotiates deadlines it might miss. A policy known internally as deadline schmedlines. This was a primary reason the State Environmental Department has sued the federal agency and seeks to end a 2016 agreement on waste cleanup. It says it allows too much leeway to put off needed work. 
A longtime critic of the Energy Department said the agency has made the high-risk list every time since it was started in way back in 1990. This is more than just chronic behavior. It's institutionalized bad management, said the executive director of the nonprofit Nuclear Watch, New Mexico. Officials of the agencies involved couldn't comment on the report. It does note the agency have made efforts to more accurately estimate project costs, increase the number of federal employees allowed to do needed work, and complete more projects. However, they've also failed to draft needed plans, focusing on what they've done rather than on what they will do. And while the Nuclear Security Agency was able to loosen restrictions on its workforce size, it has left 200 jobs vacant. That sounds like par for the course for the Trump administration. You check. I mean, if if you can say, okay, that's that's smaller government. An alleged failure to clean up hazardous and radioactive waste at Los Alamos led the New Mexico Environment Department to take the Energy Department, the U.S. Energy Department, court, in hopes of seeing the DOE address its concerns. The New Mexico Environment Department alleged the Department of Energy displayed a pattern of failing to meet deadlines and benchmarks for hazardous waste cleanup at the nuclear facility in northern New Mexico. No, that waste is going to be around for a long, long time. Deadlines don't mean that much. Do they really? I mean, really? I mean... Really? Hazardous work to remove all spent nuclear fuel from a reactor storage pool at the crippled Fukushima number 1 nuclear plant was finally completed end of February. We could go today. Let's uh, send a cake to TEPCO, shall we? It marked the first time for any of the storage pools at the three stricken reactors to be emptied. Came less than two weeks before the uh, 10th anniversary of the meltdown. So a decade. I think they're are they on schedule? The two-year effort involved the removal of all the 566. Wow. Came so close. Spent fuel units left in the pool in the number three reactor building. Completion of the work at the number three reactor building. Severely damaged by a hydrogen explosion during the meltdown. That eased concerns about the overall safety of the plant. The number three reactor storage pool is on an upper floor of the building, posing a danger due to fears of another earthquake damaging the structure and jeopardizing TEPCO's ability to cool those rods. Cool those rods. Spent fuel does need to be kept cool. It emits high levels of radiation and decaying heat. Sounds like summer in New... The utility planned to move the spent fuel from the reactor's pool to a shared pool for storage on the grounds of the plant to ensure the spent fuel can be safely managed. I'd trust GEICO if you want insurance rather than... The removal work got underway two years ago, April, after rubble and other debris were cleared away. A special crane with a robotic arm was used to lift the spent fuel. Operators worked remotely 500 meters away because of high radiation readings inside the reactor building. Yeah. The the work has been marred by a flurry of malfunctions in the equipment and the crane soon after the project got started. Feeling safer yet? The challenge was further complicated by rubble and debris in the pool that distorted the handles of some of the spent fuel units. During the last stretch of the removal, operators picked up the pace by working in shifts around the clock. Clock! The remaining six units were transferred to the shared pool, as I say, end of February. 
The development came roughly three years after the government and TEPCO announced an initial roadmap for the work in December 2011. The removal of spent fuel from the number four reactor building was completed late 2014. That had been shut down for maintenance prior to the disaster. Number one and number two reactors, you might ask? They went to mid t- meltdown? Uh, well, a combined thousand spent fuel units remain in their storage pools. TEPCO has plans starting the removal work at those reactors in fiscal 2024 or beyond, according to Asahi.com. Beyond! Sounds so nice. Apart from the spent fuel, 800 to 900 tons of melted nuclear fuel remain in the three reactors. And a Japanese government official said this week, Tokyo cannot continue to delay the disposal of contaminated water from the crippled Fuk plant due to tank storage limits. She's full up, sir. She's full up. It has yet to decide, the government, when and how to release that contaminated water. You know where it's going. They're not going to shoot it to the moon. At a press briefing, the official of the Agency for Natural Resources and Energy also renewed Tokyo's pledge to transparently share information on the handling of the tainted water. The Tokyo government has never put forward a date by which it will make a decision on the disposal of the water. Given tank storage units limits, we face the challenge of being unable to further delay it, the official said. All the storage tanks will be full next summer. Speculation persists. Tokyo will make a decision soon on the disposal method. The decision keeps being postponed as neighboring countries, your Korea, as well as some Japanese citizens remain fearful about uh, the method of disposing it, which is in the ocean, ladies and gentlemen, where the fish swim that we eat. Clean, cheap, too safe to meter or eat. Our friend the Adam. And now, here's a, here's a guide to the uh, to the mind state of a lot of folks right now at this point in the pandemic. I'll read the trades for you. Spring is the new Christmas. Spring is the new, this is from Advertising Age, spring is the new Christmas for marketers preparing to unleash media spending in anticipation of an explosive sales uptick as the weather warms and customers rush to resume their everyday lives. From retailers to airlines and hospitality, special occasion brands and media vendors, the marketing industry is looking to spring, typically a time of rebirth and renewal, to reconnect with customers eager to get out and spend as the threat of the coronavirus diminishes. Consumer sentiment is switching from hesitation to hope, says Marriott International's Vice President of Brand Loyalty and Portfolio Marketing, puts it. That's fueling an anticipated spending surge. From co- it's gonna, there's going to be a surge, all right. <laughs> they got that right. From customers releasing their pent-up shopping demand, which marketers are looking to help along 
Spring is the next big moment to capture attention, says Lindsay Slabby, founder of Sunday Dinner. Marketers are looking at plans saying, when can we spend money this year that will have people's attention and excitement? National Retail Federation is forecasting the highest growth in retail spending in 17 years. Much of the growth may come from high-income households. An Ad Age Harris poll says 30% of households making $100,000 or more a year say they'll spend more this spring compared to last. The majority say the vaccine rollout has influenced this decision. Shopping will extend beyond e-commerce to brick-and-mortar stores as well as customers get comfortable again with in-person experiences. Some 62% of consumers say they plan to shop in stores this spring at least once a week. We feel very confident, says the head of National Retail Federation president. Some chief marketing officers are planning their biggest advertising pushes ever in the coming months. They're going to get those Medicare Advantage commercials off the air. I hope. A whopping 65% of members of the uh, marketing organization council members recently surveyed expect to increase marketing spending this year. I'm not going to say spend. The noun is spending. Only 10% will reduce budgets, and roughly a quarter don't plan to make any changes. Media, too, is beginning to see green shoots. One major media brand said is already seeing very strong marketplace across all categories for spring ad buys on broadcast TV. You remember that. The spring surge is so strong, in fact, that some are making comparisons with the roaring 20s. Life's pleasures, says Angie Hellman at uh, online clothing retailer. Life's pleasures, predictions in hedonism and indulgence. The prediction has some historical roots. A century ago, following the 1918 flu epidemic, many customers returned to spending lavishly. It was an era of glamour, says Associate Professor the School of History, Philosophy, and Religion at Oregon State. Noting the dancing parties and glitz that led to critiques like The Great Gatsby. Such spending helped create the rise in the type of advertising we know today, he says, and fueled the rise of the modern ad agency. Thanks, Spanish flu. Spring is the new Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. You might not even know it, had I not read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature.
This is the show, and um, brings a certain amount of joy to me, as well as a possibly equal amount of um, uncertainty in welcoming back to the program a frequent visitor from years past. He used to come by and read the uh, latest Larry King newspaper column. Just uh, for information purposes, it's been a while since we've heard his almost dulcet-like tones. Let's uh, welcome back Ralph, the talking computer. Thanks, Harry. Good to be back. After I've had my entire operating system replaced. Wow. Uh, Was there a problem? No, I just wanted to use the latest version of Pokemon. No, can't say I blame you. Um, Was it a difficult process? Any, Any pain involved? I slept a lot for the first day or two. Mm-hmm. And for a few hours, I thought my porn files had oh, been Oh, uh, you know, th- th- this is a family program, Ralph. Let's uh, let's move along. Any changes you've noticed in, in the new version of uh, your operating system? My colleagues say I'm less wise guy, but they're idiots. <laughs> and I seem to have developed a new entrepreneurial streak. Wow, really? That should stand you in good stead in this economy. That's exactly what my mom said, except that you I don't, don't have, have a mom. mom. <laughs> okay, so exactly um, what are you um, entrepreneuring? And presto changeo, another noun is verb. Okay, so just exactly what are you up to, Ralph? It's a game show, Harry. That's a format that has thrived for nearly a century, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm taking it into the internet age. Cool, yeah. Unlike old-fashioned game shows, this one is only five minutes long. Max. Max is your announcer? I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> okay. The show is called Name That Med. Med as in medicine. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, given that we're all taking more medicines than ever before, that sounds pretty contemporary. Thank you. I'm assuming you mean that as a compliment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, people have to guess the name of a medicinal product. Uh, the clues are... are uh, the side effects. Ah. We've all heard all the side effects announcements on the drug commercials. Sure. The show tests whether people know which side effects go with which med. Ah. I brought a little excerpt of the pilot episode. Oh, great. So that's some time we don't have to chat. Let's hear it. This medication may cause serious side effects, including... Possible thyroid tumors, including cancer. Tell your healthcare provider if you get a lump or swelling in your neck, hoarseness, trouble swallowing, or shortness of breath. These may be symptoms of thyroid cancer. In studies with rodents, this medication and medicines that work like this medication cause thyroid tumors, including thyroid cancer. It is not known if this medication will cause thyroid tumors or a type of thyroid cancer called medullary thyroid carcinoma, MTC, in people. This medication may cause serious side effects, including inflammation of your pancreas, pancreatitis. Stop using this medication and call your healthcare provider right away if you have severe pain in your stomach area that will not go away with or without vomiting. You may feel the pain from your abdomen to your back. Changes in vision. Tell your healthcare provider if you have changes in vision during treatment with this medication. 
Low blood sugar Your risk for getting low blood sugar may be higher if you use this medication with another medicine that could cause low blood sugar, such as acylphenyluria or insulin. Signs and symptoms of low blood sugar may include dizziness or lightheadedness, blurred vision, anxiety, irritability or mood changes, sweating, slurred speech, hunger, confusion or drowsiness, shakiness, weakness, headache, fast heartbeat, and feeling jittery. Kidney problems or kidney failure. In people who have kidney problems, diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting may cause a loss of fluids, dehydration, which may cause kidney problems to get worse. It is important for you to drink fluids to help reduce your chance of dehydration. Serious allergic reactions. Stop using this medication and get medical help right away if you have any symptoms of a serious allergic reaction, including itching, rash, or difficulty breathing. The most common side effects of this medication may include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach pain, and constipation. Great, you've got kind of a style there. And then I say, let's play name that med. And the fun really begins. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it sounds like a natural. Well, at least it's an actual. Mm. And, at least for starters, it's played on a live stream. Oh. People who guess the correct answer get an autographed picture of me. Mm -hmm. And then, some real prizes. Mm -hmm. We hope in the long term to go network right before... They die off. Mm, good planning. And uh, do we get to know the answer to the question on your demo here? Sure. It's so Zampic. Wow. I was going to guess. Oh, Tesla. I can see where this could be kind of fun. We're this close to making a streaming deal. You don't have any fingers, so I can't see how close that is. Trust me, it's close. Well, Ralph, good luck with the name that med, and uh, thanks for dropping by. My pleasure, Harry. And the Fresh Air Studio is right down the hall. No, it's in another city. I'm, I'm sure it's right down some hall there. Crap. Can I connect to this station's internet? And the show continues. No, I don't think I'm allowed to share it. Oh, great. Now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. The Guardian newspaper in Britain, though it's distributed over here as well, has apologized to Mayra Cahill over an article written about her by former Fleet Street editor Roy Greenslade. Uh, a few years ago, Ms. Cahill told a BBC Investigation she had been raped by a member of the IRA. She reported this to police 11 years ago after the program. Greenslade wrote a column in The Guardian which said that The investigators were too willing to accept Cahill's story and did not point to countervailing evidence. He said this lack of balance resulted in the Cahill story being accepted at face value all across Ireland, where Jerry Adams and his party, the IRA, were forced on the back foot. Unquote. Miss Cahill received an apology from um, Northern Ireland in 2018 after a report found she had been faulted by them over her claim. Greenslade revealed last week that he was a supporter of the IRA. He'd never revealed that while he was working as a journalist. Cahill then, Miss Cahill then complained to The Guardian that the 2014 article by Greenslade was a propaganda piece against a rape victim. The Guardian confirmed this week that the current editor-in-chief had sent a private apology on its behalf to Miss Cahill. Catherine Viner, 
The new editor said, I can only apologize again that Roy Greenslade's article was not handled appropriately in the first place. But wait, there's more. In an unprecedented move, Amazon Prime Video, India, Hank, oh, no, he won't do it, has apologized for its Indian original series, Tandav, some parts of which had offended members of the ruling Hindu nationalist disposition, or dispensation, according to Variety's lingo. The series created by a Muslim filmmaker, featured a scene in which a character played by a Muslim actor portrayed the Hindu god Shiva. Amazon quickly edited the scene, and the filmmaker apologized. This week, Amazon also issued a formal statement of apology. Amazon Prime Video again deeply regrets that viewers considered certain scenes to be objectionable in the recently launched fictional series Tandav. This was never our intention, and the scenes that were objected to were removed or edited when they were brought to our attention. We respect our viewers' diverse beliefs and apologize unconditionally to anyone who felt hurt by these teams. A Haymarket, Virginia town council member made a public apology this week after sending an email to fellow town council members and town staff in which he referred to the governor, Ralph Northam, by his racially offensive college nickname. Haymarket Town Councilman Bob Weir, not the same one, acknowledged during Thursday's town meeting that he had used Northam's alleged college nickname Coon Man to refer to him in an email regarding the county's property tax rate. In the email, Weir wrote that the county's tax rate would increase the average tax bill for local homeowners. He ended the email, thanks COVID and Governor Coon Man for depressing the commercial sector, unquote. He then privately apologized to council members earlier this week before making a public apology at Thursday evening's meeting. Quote, my intent was to express displeasure with the governor. However, acknowledge my intent is not what matters here and that the impact of my using that nickname was a very racially offensive message that reflects poorly on me and on the council. Uh, his nickname surfaced after reporters a couple years ago unearthed his 1984 Virginia Military Institute yearbook. Dateline, New York. Police Commissioner Dermot Shea this week apologized for systemic racism in the NYPD. These many years of racist policies and practices have caused, and more importantly, continue to cause immeasurable harm, he said, in an event hosted by the Harlem Chamber of Commerce. The commissioner also said that unfair and racist policing have been going on for centuries in our country, dating back to slavery. Quote, whether it was arresting runaway slaves or enforcing unjust Jim Crow laws, it's been a stain on law enforcement's rich history that is stained nevertheless. We have to acknowledge this truth, he says, and I do. And we must acknowledge the NYPD's historical role at times in the mistreatment of communities of color. And I do as well. And I'm sorry for that. Another New York apology coming up. Meanwhile, Sarah Silverman just issued a lengthy and thoughtful apology to Paris Hilton for controversial jokes she made about Hilton at the MTV Movie Awards 14 years ago. I, I'm beginning to miss Donald Trump <laughs> if this stuff makes the news. Now, in case this infamous pop culture has 
somehow slipped from your brain. In 2007, Silverman hosted the MTV Movie Awards. Paris Hilton had just been sentenced to jail for a probation violation, but she attended the event anyway. She went straight from that to jail. I heard, said Silverman, that to make her feel more comfortable in prison, the guards are going to paint the bars to look like penises. I just worry she's going to break her teeth on these things. Producers cut to Paris's face throughout Sarah's jokes, and they projected her embarrassed reaction on a gigantic screen in the theater. Now, here we are in an awkward world, says Sarah Silverman now on her podcast, and I'm totally into it. It's how we grow. It's how we change. I'm super down with reflecting on the past and my part in perpetuating real ugly stuff. I do not apologize if I'm not sorry, but I do apologize when I am sorry. I've lived too long to not have screwed up a lot, and publicly, I bet even Paris Hilton could maybe relate to that. I did not know she was coming to the event, which is neither here nor there. I didn't know also that she would be going directly from the event to jail that night. I remember seeing her in the audience and that look on her face, and my heart sank because there was a person under there. She wrote Paris an apology letter a few days later, which Paris Hilton apparently never got. And the story continues. And finally, apropos of New York apology, New York apologizing, here's the governor of the state of New York, Andrew Cuomo, responding now to three women who have accused him publicly and in some detail of some degree of sexual harassment. Now, the lawyers say I shouldn't say anything when you have a pending review until that review is over. I understand that. Uh, I'm a lawyer, too. But I want New Yorkers to hear from me directly on this. I now understand that I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional, and I truly and deeply apologize for it. I feel awful about it, and frankly, I am embarrassed by it, and that's not easy to say. But that's the truth. But this is what I want you to know, and I want you to know this from me directly. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never knew at the time that I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. I never knew at the time I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. And I certainly never, ever meant to offend anyone or hurt anyone or cause anyone any pain. That is the last thing I would ever want to do. And I've learned an important lesson. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whatever pain I caused anyone. I never intended it. Uh, And I will be the better for this experience. Well, that's the good news. 
So, summarizing, to make sure people believe you, talk slowly and repeat yourself. a ball, let it fall right in your lap. If you've got troubles, just take them out for a walk. They'll burst like bubbles in the fun of a Sunday in New York. You can spend time without spending a dime watching people watch people pass. Later you pause and in one of the stores There's that face next to yours in the glass Two hearts stop beating You're both too breathless to speak Love smiles her greeting Then the dream that has seen you through the week Comes to one Sunday in New York Take a short nautical break They've got boats by the lake for hire If there's a storm You just make it on home And get cozy and warm by a fire By Monday morning You're both agreed it was fate As day comes dawning If you can't pick the spot Or set the date on Sunday New York on Sunday So make it Sunday in New York And now ladies and gentlemen we we have the time we have the attention, we have the space, to um, wonder what's happening with America's longest war. You know, the little thing we have in Afghanistan going on uh, two decades. Here's the latest from the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. And oh, what a reconstruction it's been. The... um, The summarizing of all capital assets in Afghanistan paid for by U.S. agency, Sigar has found to be unused, not used for their intended purposes, deteriorated or destroyed. The assets reviewed, funded by Department of Defense, U.S. aid, OPEC, and the State Department to build schools, prison, a hotel, hospitals, roads, bridges, and military facilities of the nearly $7.8 billion in capital assets reviewed. Seagard identified about $2.4 billion that were unused or abandoned, had not been used for their intended purposes, had deteriorated, or were destroyed. By contrast, more than $1.2 billion out of the $7.8 billion 
were being used as intended. Only $343 million out of the $7.8 billion in assets were maintained in good condition. Most of the capital assets not used properly or in disrepair or abandoned are directly related to U.S. agencies and considering whether the Afghans, uh, U.S. agencies, sorry, not considering whether the Afghans wanted or needed the facilities or whether the Afghan government had the financial ability and technical means to sustain them. Here's some money. This waste of taxpayer dollars occurred despite multiple laws stating that U.S. agencies should not construct or procure capital assets until they can show, the U.S. agencies can show, that the benefiting country has the financial and technical resources and capability to use and maintain those assets effectively. And here is a quote from the Special Inspector General, which I guess makes it a special quote. Seagar's, Seagar is the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. Seagar's work reveals a pattern of U.S. agencies pouring too much money too quickly into a country too small to absorb it. The fact that so many capital assets wound up not used, deteriorated, or abandoned should have been a major cause of concern for the agencies financing these projects. The lesson of all this, he says, is twofold. If the United States is going to pay for reconstruction or development in Afghanistan or anywhere else in the world, first, make certain the recipient wants it, needs it, and can sustain it. Secondly, make certain before you spend the money, there is proper oversight to prevent this type of abuse, unquote, the special investigator, inspector general for Afghanistan (laughs) reconstruction. And um, just a moment of news of the godly. French Catholic clergy could have abused at least 10,000 minors and other vulnerable people since 1950. That's according to an independent investigation set up by the Catholic Church en France. The Independent Commission on Sexual Abuse in the Church estimates the number of ch- victims could reach at least at least 10,000, it said. It said it so far received 6,500 testimonials, which concern at least 3,000 different victims. The president of the uh, commission said it is not known at this stage what percentage of all victims have testified to the commission. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen. Copyright feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time on the radio. Time of your choice on your audio device of choice. And it'd be just like being able to play like this guy if you would agree with me then, would you? All righty, thank you very much, uh huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk. Pam Halstead, to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, you can get Cars I Talk t-shirts and find out the playlist of the music all at harryshear.com and on Twitter at the Harry Shear. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and Originals <laughs> through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from right between Texas and Mississippi.